0: Welcome back to The Middle of Culture. This is episode 10. I am one of your regular hosts, Peter.
1: And I am your other regular host, Braden Jones. I said the last name this time.
0: I could tell you were waiting for me to say it, so I thought I'd psych you out a little bit by not saying it.
1: You did. You got me.
0: Well, you know, I like to be unpredictable that way, such as the life of an adventurous amateur podcaster as myself. Adventure yeah. is always ready.
1: You, you got to get the adventure where you can in these days. <laughs> it's
0: so true. Cause it's definitely not happening in things like work and stuff like that, but you know, indeed it is not. So, um, I don't want to start us out on a bummer of a note, but personally, I feel like I would be remiss if I didn't say this just to kind of throw this out there, a little public service announcement. Brain doesn't know what I'm going to say. Um, But I did want to briefly mention on the sad announcement that I saw today that uh, Trevor Stranad, the vocalist for American death metal band, The Black Dahlia Murder, uh, passed away today um, at his own hand. He had been rather open about his struggles with depression a year or so ago. And sadly, it looks like the uh, disease continued to plague him and unfortunately took him from us today. And I just want to say that, you know, there's help out there. And I hope that if anybody hears this and is struggling with mental health issues and such, uh, please seek help, reach out to someone, anyone, you know, I mean, heck, if you're somebody random who happens to hear this, email us, we'll, we'll reach out to you. Um, People are here for you. You're you're not alone.
1: I I was just going to say the same thing as a person who, uh, Is learning to manage my mental illness Uh, I am empathetic to those who might be dealing with the same uh, and I'm here to help
0: yep we both are we both have dealt with mental illness uh, personally in those close to us and in many settings and uh, you know we're here nobody needs to suffer alone uh, even though I know that it can sometimes feel that way so Very sad. Uh, The Black Dahlia Murder was a great band, really kind of one of the vanguards of American death metal. And uh, Trevor seemed like a super cool dude. I'd seen interviews with him. Uh, He seemed very down to earth, open, honest, humble, uh, but funny, great entertainer, hilarious guy in interviews and stuff. And he will be sadly missed and thoughts and condolences out to his family and those who are close to him. I know that it's it's going to be a big loss and uh, it always is when the life is ended especially too soon uh, and for you know diseases like this uh, but also i'm just going to emphasize that this is a real disease this is a real thing people deal with it and people uh, hopefully are, are getting to the point that the stigma of mental illness is waning a little bit but it certainly isn't waning fast enough and Uh, I hope that people will again get the help that they need. All right. Well, let's get on to slightly more positive uh, goings on. And I did briefly want to say without us getting into any spoilers, you know, two weeks ago, we uh, did our MCU bracket in anticipation of the uh, release of Dr. Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. And both Braden and I have had a chance to see that movie. And without getting into spoiler territory, Braden, what
1: were some of your thoughts? Um Sam Raimi's great, give him more money. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I didn't realize. I thought I read something. This is it's been like nine years since he directed a film. Is that some correct? Yeah, the
1: last the last movie he made was Oz the Great and Powerful in 2013. Um and apparently that was such a nasty process for him that he had basically retired. Um, but clearly someone at Marvel wrote enough zeros on a check to get him back to do some good old fashioned journeyman work for Dr. Strange. Because I will say there are moments of that Ramey brilliance in it, but by and large, it was a Marvel movie Uh, (laughs) in, in all good and bad ways. It was a Marvel movie.
0: Yep. It definitely felt like a Marvel movie as someone who, I, again, I think I'm a little higher on most of the Marvel stuff than you are. I enjoyed it. I did appreciate that while it definitely still had the trappings of a Marvel movie, it also, I think, had Sam Raimi's fingerprints, you know, all hundred percent in, in a lot of places. A hundred percent. You know, I think that Marvel has become such a huge thing that it's, and again, maybe I'm being too kind, but as a big fan, I appreciate that they are willing to let directors uh, to at least some degree, put their stamp on the movies that they direct that while they still do have a Marvel feel to them, I do like that there's absolutely a different feel between a Russo brothers, Marvel movie. And again, now a Sam Raimi Marvel movie and uh, you know, a Taika Waititi Marvel movie. Uh, They feel different enough to the point that I think we can at least appreciate that. Hey, these were directed by different people. So.
1: No, I I 100% agree with that, and I think that even extends to the TV shows as well. You can definitely see yep. that, especially here in Phase Four. It feels like the um, the formula has been established and is uh, you know strengthened enough that they can say, eh, you can do some weird stuff. Go for it." Um, and honestly, I think it, at least based on our text convo, I think I actually enjoyed this movie maybe more than you did. Um, It definitely is in probably the top 25% of Marvel movies for me, which I know is apparently not very common. It's apparently getting some of the, not the worst. It's still like certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes or whatever, but it's like the second lowest in terms of its fresh rating of any of the Marvel movies, second only to Thor, the dark world, which uh, sort of surprises me um, because I found myself delighted by a lot of it. I really enjoyed it um, in a lot of respects, um, I think that... I, I don't really like Benedict Cumberbatch very much, um, except for when he's being a real snot, and he had some real <laughs> good snotty moments in there in this movie um, that I think leaned into that better. because thi- That's the thing that makes him a different person than Tony Stark, because that was one of my biggest complaints. This is not to relitigate what we went through last week. One of my biggest complaints with Infinity War is when you have... Tony Stark, Iron Man, Doctor Strange, and Star-Lord all in the same scene together. And you're like, these are basically just the same guy with the numbers filed off. They're all just like kind of immature, know-it-all jerks. And I don't really like it. Um, And so I like when they let Benedict be a snot, which is what makes him different than Tony Snark. Because Tony Stark, I just said Tony Snark. That's that's Tony Stark. (laughs) Tony Stark is snarky. Dr. Strange is snotty. And those are two different things. And I like that yes. when they let him lean into the snottiness of who Dr. Strange is. And uh, the horror elements just really worked for me. The ways in which the villain has some really compelling horror imagery related with the sorts of things that they do really worked for me.
0: Yeah. and And I'll be honest and say that the more I have sat with it, I actually think the more I like it. And I'm looking forward to seeing it again to see what my thoughts are on a second watch through. Um, I think that the main villain uh, surprised me in their brutality. I yes, mean, Thanos was brutal in some ways. In other, I, there are a lot of ways in which I felt that the main antagonist of this movie was more brutal. Oh um, yeah, and and I I appreciated that they went with that. Uh, Without again, getting into any spoiler territory, since it is not been out very long, I will say that one of the biggest complaints I have seen in some of the online uh, communities that I I frequent a a little bit is the way Wanda Maximoff's character was treated. And a lot of people didn't feel that uh, where she is in this movie corresponds with where she was at the end of WandaVision, to which... I personally don't really agree. And what I'll just say is at the end of WandaVision, I felt that Wanda was contrite and sorry about the fact that she got busted and wasn't going to be able to continue to live out this fantasy life that she had created. And she was way more sorry about getting caught doing it and having to stop than she was about the fact that she had put the people of Westview through this. That's my take on it. And so I look at that and I look at where WandaVision ended and I go, okay, so now you have someone who has become the Scarlet Witch, this incredibly powerful person who is sad, but also really pissed off that she can't live this fantasy that she had created anymore.
1: Yeah, I 100% agree with you. I I understand why people think that it was a swerve, but to me, it doesn't feel like a swerve at all. It feels like a... One of the natural paths that could have come out of the end of WandaVision. But it feels like yeah. a natural path to me that that character could take. I thought and so, also, too. And, and also, just to wrap this up before we get into what we're actually going to talk about, Xochitl Gomez was so good. She was yes. great. She was, America's she was one great. of my I'm, America's one of my favorite Marvel characters. I was excited to see her on screen, even though they cast a little younger than I actually expected them to, which is so rarely the case with... Uh, with hollywood but uh was really great i liked her a lot
0: i agree i thought she was excellent um she was able to uh, in a lot of ways hold her own against some really strong characters and strong actors and i very much look forward to her involvement in uh, marvel properties going forward
1: put her in that young avengers book friends there we go i mean not book i mean movie because she was in the young avengers comic book that's (laughs) why i'm saying what i'm saying (laughs) second you know, volume I, I know not the first volume she was in the second volume but still she was there <laughs> her and kate bishop are best friends
0: i can see that i can see that i in fact i think it'll be fun to see the three the two of them and uh yelena belova pay, play off each other i think that would agreed. be good times good times so agreed well let's get down to the meat of what we're talking about today because uh, and then there's a method to this but I think after we went off air last, uh, last time I told Braden what my idea was, unfortunately he didn't boo me or shout me out of the podcast because given that, and this is not really a spoiler because it's pretty broadly advertised in, uh, at least one of the trailers, if not more of them, I don't know. I didn't watch too many of them, but with the multiverse of madness, we have an introduction into the Marvel cinematic universe of a classic character. And that would be professor Charles Xavier played by Sir Patrick Stewart. And so I thought it would be fun for us to revisit the X-Men movies and kick off what I'm going to refer to for no other reason than I feel like it, the Summer of X. And we're going to start off with X-Men, 2000s X-Men. Yep, we watched it, we're going to talk about it, and we're going to see, does it hold up? Is it as good as some people thought it was? Is it as good as we remembered? I don't even know if I have the answer for that yet, but... Before we kick into talking about some of the key points overall, Brayden, what'd you think watching 2000s X-Men over again?
1: Um, Excuse my French and you'll probably need to bleep this, um, but I regret, (laughs) I regret to inform you that this movie slaps.
0: (laughs) This movie was so good. I did not think that slaps was going to be the S word that followed
1: that comment. No, that this. Here's the thing. This movie is good. I suddenly <laughs> like. I, I was thinking to myself. X Men gets a lot of credit for like starting off like the new wave of of superhero cinema in the 2000s, but I think that credit really belongs to Blade and Spider Man. And uh, no, it is a triumvirate between these three. It is Blade 99 98 Blade. 2000 x-men 2002 spider-man and those three together are what have created the bedrock of you know modern cinema of the last 20 years to be perfectly honest
0: excellent well you know it was well so it was sunday night when we were texting about whether or not either of us had watched this yet and we neither of us had and you, you said exactly that, that you, and I was looking at it right now, you said you were worried that you will repeat the success of the modern Marvel superhero movie is on Blade and Spider-Man's shoulders, not this. I was around. And I, I went into it thinking the same thing, and I'll be honest, while I have some big issues with this film that we will discuss, at the end of it, I thought to myself, this held up way better than I expected and is a legitimately good superhero movie for the 21st century agreed and you know what i think worked here in this movie's case that made it so that i could comfortably say that they took it seriously not too serious to the point that it was you know self-serious but they didn't treat the setup of the x-men as a ha ha wink wink nod nod they were like here's our characters here's our setup a lot of you know them some of you won't but we're going to treat them as serious characters with serious issues and go from there.
1: Well, I mean, from the very first scene, this movie sets a tone that I had forgotten that that was how it started. Like, I knew that that scene was in it. Like, the scene with Eric Lencher as a young teen being taken from his parents at Auschwitz, and I'd forgotten that that's how the movie started. I thought that wasn't referenced till X2, but no, the movie starts with... Hey I know this is gonna be a heavy-handed allegory, but here's this young Jewish boy who's so distraught out the uh, concentration camp that he's being taken to that he manifests mutant powers and uh and I will say, this is maybe spoilers for once we get into more of the discussion, this movie does fall into the problem of the villain being right but, too, but goes too far, which is so often the case with, I feel like, superhero movies where you're like, fundamentally the villain is on the right side here. They just went too far because uh, Mike Nito is definitely on the right side here. He just went too far.
0: Well, you know, and I actually think that while he doesn't ever come out and say it, I think the fact that Charles continues to maintain this relationship with uh, Magneto kind of hints at the fact that he feels the same. Like he, he understands Magneto's position at the very least. He doesn't agree that necessarily the two, that humans and mutants need to go to war with each other. But I do think on some level you get the idea that Charles at least understands the reasons why Magneto feels they have been Made second-class citizens. Yeah, I don't know. And I'm again, the, sense, but. I,
1: I feel like the cinematography and the and the writing and the direction did this so well by starting with that Auschwitz scene and then later on cutting to, uh, you know, Magneto looking at the numbers tattooed on his on his forearm, and just being like, you know, these are very direct parallels. And granted, I have always thought that. Using the X-Men as parallels for uh, subaltern or minoritized people is problematic because they are superheroes and they do have amazing and sometimes extremely dangerous powers, which is not the way that it works in the real world because people are just people. Um, yeah. so like I can I am a hundred percent with the people who are like you can't use the x-men as a subaltern or minoritized people l- allegory because then you're basically just saying that they're super that you know black people or Jewish people or whatever are su- or gay people or whatever subaltern you know group you're talking about are uh, uh, are to be feared because they are somehow different when in fact we're all the same. I 100% agree that is a problem with using this analysis or this reading of the X-Men movies. However, it also really works because they are a minoritized people who are vilified by the what the movie calls the normal people, which, again, that's, that's another discussion is having the non-mutant people be called normal and the other people being called mutants. But still, they are hunted, they are feared, they are uh, vilified, and... And so it's understandable why they would have those feelings of, of no, like this is not okay.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And again, I I like the points that you bring up. I I agree. It it doesn't work as a straight one-to-one. Oh yes, we're, we're bringing light to the plight of marginalized minorities and individuals who, who maybe not are part of the majority or what fits the quote norm. And, and again, I'm just air quoting that because c- kind of the word normal is stupid because we're all different and we're all human and like full stop and boom, that's it period. So anyway, moving that aside, I do think, and, and I agree, let's, you know, I, let's just jump in. I'm not going to blow a spoiler horn because this is a 22 year old movie. And if you get spoiled on something, Good, I guess it's your fault. Go, go watch it, Go watch it. Go watch it.
1: We um, we'll, spoilers from here on out. It starts with an Auschwitz scene, and it just goes up from there.
0: So the the only thing I will say before that is the actual little CGI intro doesn't hold up. That was the one thing that didn't work for me. I <laughs> and, mean, and so that was the, the first thing I wrote. Is like, kind of yucky, yeah. Yeah, the the credit sequence doesn't hold up, but then we move directly into this Auschwitz sequence, which is incredibly effective, and really sets the stage, like you said, for a movie that goes, we're going to take our subject matter seriously. And again, that's why this movie ended up working as well as it did for me. And I really did. I liked it so much more when it was over than I thought I was going to. And that was a huge, pleasant surprise.
1: I I was shocked by how much I liked this movie because I 100% expected to come in hot saying this movie sucks. And uh, that is not how I felt at all. There was again, it's not it's not a perfect movie. It's not even a great movie, but it is a very good movie with some really tranchant writing, some fun action sequences, some thoughtful elements to it. And uh, I had a really fun time watching it last night.
0: Yeah, no, it was good. So so we start with this Auschwitz sequence. We see Eric uh, developing or manifesting his powers again, in a really cool way where he's got all these soldiers trying to hold on to him in the mud. And he's reaching for these gates that have closed behind where his parents were taken and his magnetic powers manifest. And he's being pulled towards these gates and the gates are being bent towards him. And he's got three or four, you know, Nazi soldiers holding on to him. They're all sliding through the mud until one finally just smacks him in the head with the butt of a rifle and knocks him out. And then everybody collapsed to the ground and then boom, we've got this mangled gate. And that's what the shot ends with is kind of a a brownish toned scene with the rain falling mud and just this mangled gate. And boom, we go straight from that into a scene that I didn't feel worked quite as well. But here we have another mutant manifesting her powers. And we move to Rogue, played by Anna Paquin. And, you know, she's up in her room and she goes to kiss a boy and immediately starts like draining his life force and backs away and is freaking out and calls her mom and her dad and they come running up and you know the dad's calling call 911 and they're just basically screaming at her what did you do what did you do uh, what did you think about this scene again for some reason it there was something about it that didn't quite click for me and I don't know what it is
1: i thought that it it worked um but it was a little abrupt and a little messy i will agree with you there um but yeah i one thing about this movie that is not as prevalent here, but I remember it being really prevalent in X2. So I'm interested to see if that, if that is the case or if that's just my, my remembering it is specifically using mutant powers as an allegory for, for queerness. Um, and you definitely don't get that in this movie, but I, I remember yeah. cause there's a scene in X2 where Bobby has to come out to his parents as a mutant Uh, that is extremely, uh, extremely, oh, this is a person coming out to their parents as as gay. Um, but you don't get that, you don't get that as much here. So I do agree with you that like the, I don't know, it just doesn't, it doesn't have the weight that I think those, that sort of scene of like your parents finding out that you are a mutant works in X2 from what I remember. Yeah.
0: It'd be interesting to compare those two because I had forgotten that that scene is in X2 until you brought it up. Uh, we moved from there to this, uh, I don't know if it's a Senate thing, like a Senate hearing or if it's a United Nations thing, but now we've got uh, Jean Grey who's presenting, talking about, you know, mutants and we've got uh, Senator Kelly who's pushing back and he's talking about, we you know we need mutants to register. And this immediately kind of brought to mind uh, the ideas of, Um, Captain America, civil war and the Sokovia Uh Accords. And I saw a lot of kind of parallels between those two, again, looking at things just from a a fictional universe standpoint. Um, And, and as in civil war, we've got sort of Tony and cap on the two sides of this here, we've got Charles and Magneto. And I don't know, what did you think about um, kind of the comparisons between the two sides in civil war versus the two sides that it sets up here
1: Um, in civil war, both sides are wrong and stupid. And in this movie, (laughs) both sides are right and good. (laughs) Okay.
0: I like that. Talk to me, talk to me a little bit more.
1: Uh, Here's the thing. Um, This is maybe going to be trite, especially coming from a white person, but for a movement to exist, it needs its Martins and it needs its Malcolm's. In other okay. words, it needs it's fi- it needs its Martin Luther King Juniors. It needs, and granted, this is not always true for Martin Luther King Jr. because the FBI killed him because he was pushing for socialism. So, like, let's not get it twisted here. The FBI definitely murdered that dude because he started moving out of race politics and into class politics. But that's neither here nor there. Um, <laughs> but they also murdered Malcolm X a few years earlier for being a militant black man who was pushing yep. in in uh, in a less pacifist and more violent way for equality and equity uh, and that's what you see in charles xavier and eric lencher is the person who wants to do it diplomatically the person who wants to appeal to the better angels of of people's nature and the person who says no that didn't work last time when they killed my parents and it's not going to work this time when they're going to try to kill me
0: yeah and you know when you put it that way it definitely highlights the the differences between this and the conflict in civil war. And I hadn't quite thought of it that way, so I, I appreciate that. I think that that's a, a good point and a good way to uh, sort of
1: point well, out. And the other difference there. the other difference between this and civil war is that ultimately the conflict in civil war is should superpowered individuals have some sort of governmental like overhead which is what Tony is pushing for some sort of governmental, like, like control. But also one of the things in that movie is, you know, the guy, the general says, well, if you don't want to do this, then you're just not a superhero anymore. Whereas in this movie, it's, Oh, we're going to put you into camps. Yeah. Which again is a different thing. It's very different from saying cap, give me your shield. You're not a superhero anymore. Or cap, you're going to the Utah desert to live in a concentration camp.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Good point. Um, you know, we get a conversation here between Magneto and Charles and I think it works because number one, you have in, at least in my opinion, two fantastic actors. And 100%. And having Patrick Stewart and Ian McKellen playing these two characters is so much of what makes this work and gets back to this idea of they took the material seriously because you don't cast actors of the, that caliber for something that is not going to be treated with at least some degree of, of gravity of respect. And I think that that first conversation you see between the two of them where Charles is really, again, trying to tell Magneto, Hey, it doesn't have to be this way, whatever. And, and Magneto basically just responds with, yeah, it does because we've tried the other way and look what they did to us. Exactly. You know? And again, I think that it's a great scene that sets up the continuing conflict between these two. And it's interesting the way their relationship evolves over the course of, of many of the movies.
1: Um, One thing that I think is really interesting just to mention about the casting, because I think you're exactly right that as, as I was watching this movie, much of the cast is extremely well cast, even if they're given very little to go with yeah uh you know like fam famka jansen is great as jean gray it helps Agreed. that she's like one of the most beautiful women on the planet in 2000 like good <laughs> gravy she just is great looking and then you've got you know uh hugh jackson hugh jackman doing amazing work here even though you know I, I remember when he was cast and people were like he's too tall and like yeah <laughs> true he is too yep. tall but it, it, he makes it work and so it's fine. He makes it work. And, uh,
0: and, and I just have to say, cause I made a, a note of that the first time we see, uh, we see the Wolverine character, you know, other than yes, the complaints about his height, whatever, it's fine because he is so good in every other way. Like incredibly he, good. I mean, he, he pulls off this, this exterior of, I don't care. I'm all in this for just myself. That's all I care about, but that's not even close to true. And I remember, you know, I, you've obviously read way more comic books than I have, but even as a kid, I remember reading Wolverine and getting that same sort of feeling that Uh this very gruff exterior, this very appearance of I'm in it for me and that's all, but deep down that is not even remotely true. And I think Hugh Jackman manages to pull that push pull of the character off in a really, really good way. I mean, it's the reason why he is going to be so hard to recast Wolverine if that's what they decide to do. I mean, and I, you know,
1: I imagine they have to, because he's too old. He's too old to come back as Wolverine. You want someone who can do this for another 15, 20 years. What do, which is what he did, you know, between 2000 uh, uh, and then, yeah, you know, Logan exactly.
0: came out in what, 2017, 2018?
1: And and it worked for him to be an old grizzled Wolverine because he was old. He's an old grizzled human now. So you've got to cast someone who's younger. But I totally agree. And that is one of the things that I think this movie nails, even though, again, they're not building off anything that was necessarily in the comics here because he's far rogue is an adult by the time she comes into contact with the X-Men for those of you who might not know she starts as an as as a a baddie in the comics she is originally from the captain marvel comics and is one of captain marvel's enemies or not captain marvel ms marvel and is one of ms marvel's enemies um and then she eventually steals ms marvel's powers that's why in if you remember the 90s show when she's like super strong and can fly everywhere That's because she sucked all of Ms. Marvel's powers out of her and they stuck because she sucked too hard. Uh, But she's an adult in the comics. She's not a teen. And so when they rewrite rogue to become a teen, then they pass that kind of paternal uh, tendency that Wolverine has so often had in the comics for Jubilee for X 23 for Ms. for newer, younger Pakistani American Ms. Marvel Kamala Khan, for all of these characters who he's had these kind of paternal, uh, you know, uh, gruff father figurey sort of relationships with, they're really able to, uh, transfer that to rogue by writing her younger, by writing her as a teen in this film. Yeah.
0: And that's kind of the next scene we get is we get up in Alaska because there've been a previous conversation that rogue had had when she was getting ready to kiss that dude about her wanting to travel to Alaska. And so she ends up in this town in Alaska goes into a bar. Here's a cage fight. And we've got some big, you know, burly dude who decides he wants to get in there and go at it with, uh, with the Wolverine as they call him. And of course, you know, he, he gets some good hits in and, and Wolverine kind of just takes it. And then finally he goes to punch and Wolverine punches back. And you hear that metal clang of the dude's fist, punching the adamantium bones of Wolverine and the guy's hand snaps. And then he like head butts him and, you know, takes him out. And and the whole time you've got rogue there, who's kind of watching this. And, um, this was the one part that I didn't quite understand. And is it that, and and help me understand, do you think that, can she tell there's something different about Wolverine? Is that why she keeps sitting there looking at him so much? Or like, what is her rationale for sitting in this bar, staring at this dude? And when he's done with the fight, she's still just sitting there kind of staring at him at the at, at the bar like
1: well i read that as her seeing not necessarily that she can sense that he has powers but just seeing another outcast okay you know like she has you know thumbed her way up to you know northern alberta and she's out in the boondocks and and she finds this person who also is an outcast she's broke she's starving she doesn't know what to do and she's like and and she sees someone who's clearly also on the periphery of society i think that's why she is drawn to him not necessarily because she can sense his power but just that she can okay. sense that he too is is an outcast for some reason which she very quickly finds out it's because he has metal bones and has three big long knives that come out of his freaking fists yeah. Yeah. He's, he's definitely
0: a different dude, but no, I like that. I like that explanation because that was one of the things that I just didn't know. You know, I made a, I made a note cause cause I did take notes while I was watching this. Cause you know, I'm getting to be an old man and I forget things. So I wrote down, you know, why is she stalking Wolverine? Cause that's kind of how it felt. But you know, she obviously had figured out enough, whether it was beforehand or as he was walking out, she knew what his vehicle was. He's got this sad camper and a trailer and stuff. And so he leaves the bar and is driving down the road and somehow he can sense that there's something going on. I think maybe she moves in the back and he pulls over, gets out, goes to the back little trailer. There she is underneath a, like a tarp or something. And he tells her to get out. And again, this is one of those moments where you see him. He wants to be the gruff, you know, old guy who doesn't care Well, an old guy, but but the gruff guy who doesn't care about anybody but himself leaves her on the road, starts driving down and then stops, backs up and tells her to get in his car. And then, like you said, he can tell she hasn't eaten anything. He gives her what it it looks like. Maybe jerky. Is that what I he think gives it was her
1: big, to eat? I, I think it was jerky. And that's what I read it as.
0: She just starts shoving that stuff into her mouth. mouth and I'm like, This is either jerky that has not been cured very well, or you were just like, you you stole somebody's powers to make yourself be able to chomp that stuff down because she was eating (laughs) that jerky and masticating it to the point of swallowing far too fast for any jerky I have ever had.
1: It was that it was those Lowry beef sticks that are like all chopped up and then reformed. You could do that with those.
0: Yeah, I suppose. All I was thinking is I'm one of those weird people that like I can't eat beef jerky unless I know that there's some dental floss close by because <laughs> I'm going to have to floss my teeth as second yeah. I'm done eating the beef jerky because I got, I got to get the beets out, the, the pieces out of there. It was just, it was giving me a little bit of anxiety the whole time she was chomping on these things because I'm like, <laughs> you don't have any, you don't have any floss, sweetheart. You're going to be just like mm, getting those little things out of your, in between your teeth for the next 12 hours so then we get introduced to one of our big bads, henchmen, and all of a sudden tree falls down. They run into a Wolverine cause he's not wearing his seatbelt. Cause she had just barely said something about, him. don't you think you should be wearing your seatbelt? And he's like, I don't need my seatbelt. Boom. He goes flying through the windshield, sliding on the icy road. And then we've got saber tooth. what do you think about saber tooth?
1: Uh, here's the thing about all of the villains other than Magneto. They're not very good.
0: <laughs> you know what I wrote down about saber I said, let me see. I'm looking for it. Uh, saber He looks like a cut rate WWE wrestler.
1: Yep. <laughs> and that's, a, and that's yeah. about what you get out of him.
0: Yeah. That's about all the depth we have. You know, he's, he's apparently strong. He's got crazy hair. He's got black eyes, claws, and he growls sometimes. And, uh, you know, he and, uh, he and Wolverine go at it a little bit. In the meantime, Rogue is stuck. She's pinned in the car because she had her seatbelt on. So she didn't go through the windshield, but she's pinned. And there's a, a fire in the camper. And then all of a sudden it gets to a propane tank and things are going bad. And then boom, we've got Storm and Cyclops. And they show up and, and rescue our heroes and off runs uh, Sabretooth back to Magneto's base. Then we transition to Wolverine waking up. Now, here was one of the weird things about this movie for me, and I understand that it was kind of a storytelling thing, but this was one of the things that didn't work. And again, not a huge issue. But Wolverine's mutation is his healing factor, correct?
1: Yes. Yes.
0: That's like and his power.
1: Well, and and the claws, yes, and and, and the claws
0: claws. that, that were bone. And then of course he gets the adamantium infused into a skeleton and everything. But so I found it a little odd that, man, this guy takes some hits and is like down for the count. And then other times he like gets his face sliced open and it just immediately knits back together. So again, a bit of a nitpick. Yes. But uh, there were times where I'm like, it seems like his healing factor is taking a long time to kick in here. And then at other times it's like, boom, right there, ready to go.
1: Yeah, I definitely agree that it was, there was some inconsistency there with how, uh, how powerful his healing ability was.
0: Yeah. So, you know, we, we get, um, we get this scene where Wolverine wakes up in, uh, the mansion in uh, Xavier's school for, for the gifted or whatever exactly it's called. And I thought this was a little weird that Charles's choice to try and reach out to him is to like telepathically whisper little things to his mind to like freak him (laughs) out. Yeah. You know, I mean, that was a little weird. So Wolverine's running through the school. Like eventually boom, he ends up in the classroom that professor X is teaching in And Professor X wraps up their physics lesson and sends the kids out. And then they start talking and we find out that, you know, Wolverine doesn't really know what happened to him, but it's been at least like 15 years. He's been kind of just a loner out running on his own. And again, I like it. I like the school. It looks cool. It was a little weird that this is. Instead of, I mean, he's, if he can reach out to his mind, why is he doing this weird whispering and you see Wolverine looking around and kind of, where's the sound coming from? What's going on instead of just like reaching out to him telepathically and being like, yo dog, I'm a sure telepath. I'm. Come and find me here. I agree. But I agree. so then we moved to this UN summit and, um, and it's funny. This part I thought was funny because there's these politicians who are getting out and people are like, like you think that they were, um, looking at, oh gosh, why did I just blank on the name of that K-pop band? That's like super huge right BTS. now. BTS. Thank you. Like I'm looking at this and people are getting so excited at these politicians getting out of their vehicles. I'm like, dude, you think this is like BTS getting out or something? And I was like, I wrote down again. I'm like, politicians don't have fans like that who are psycho fans cheering and waving. And then I thought back to the last five, plus years. And I thought, Oh shit. Yeah, they do.
1: Yeah, they do. Yeah, they do. do.
0: And then I was angry for a few minutes, but then the movie went on so I could stop being angry about it. Um, This is where we first get introduced to mystique and mystique is weird. And I think she has a much larger role in the second one, if I'm remembering correctly. Yeah. But I, man, I don't know. I thought that this 2000s mystique looked better than the newer version uh,
1: the uh, the design's terrible i'll we'll get that out of the way first the design well, is the terrible, design for no matter, both of them is terrible yeah yeah, yeah it, no matter how you awful. slice it the design is terrible the fact that she's like let's have her run around buck naked when like she had one of the most striking outfits in the comics thank you very much having this blue-skinned woman wear this like super high slits on either side dress with a skull belt in stark white. It was awesome. It's a great outfit. Put her in the outfit. But instead they're like, she's going to run around naked because then she can shapeshift to look whatever she needs. Like whatever. It's gross. But I do agree that her makeup looks better than Jennifer Lawrence's makeup from what I've seen. I've only saw first class, but I've seen screenshots and gifs of the later – second trilogy and boy did guy guys quadrilogy because there's four of them boy did that boy does that uh makeup look dodgy well you know
0: we'll get to dark phoenix much to my chagrin
1: and at the same time
0: my joy at the fact that i'm going to get to subject you to that one because it is truly subjecting someone to watch that movie
1: well i mean you got to get through last stand first we got to crucify uh Jean gray first before we can do it again a second time
0: and, and we'll definitely get to, cause it is incredible. Those are both truly terrible movies, but it, it's really odd. I mean, the difference just from first class to,
1: well, yeah, um, I saw us, I dark saw Phoenix, like, a,
0: like it, it really looks like in dark Phoenix, somebody was just like, eh, I don't give an F anymore. Just whatever.
1: Yeah. Like uh, suddenly she's like turquoise instead of dark blue. Yeah. It's like, why is, why is the paint so light? That's not, that's not the color she's ever been. But anyway, I will also I, briefly say I did bad.
0: appreciate in the newer, uh, the newer series, uh, that the Jennifer Lawrence version of mystique generally is clothed at least like they at least she didn't want to go.
1: She, she didn't want to have to wear the full body paint and like fair, more power to her. She had a hit movie and then she was like, I don't, I can negotiate a better outfit. Put me in the jumpsuit. And they were like, <sighs> okay. But like fair, I would also <laughs> want to negotiate being in the jumpsuit and not my altogethers.
0: Yes, absolutely. Um so we get this scene with Mystique and uh they're if I'm remembering correctly, this is where we've got Senator Kelly again, who's been kind of he's the face of the mutant opposition. And Mystique is has replaced one of his aides. They're in a helicopter and Boom! She takes him out, knocks him out with some funny footwork that I'm like, I don't know anybody who can hit that hard with their feet um, in in a close quarters like this that you're going to knock someone out. But whatever, more power to you. You got some fancy footwork going on, and so she hijacks the helicopter and takes him off. We go back to the to the X Men mansion school, whatever, and and here's the one part of the movie that I'd say is really cringy. And that for me is this, what feels like totally forced relationship slash romance between Jean gray and Wolverine. I mean, yes. I mean, I know that this, this conflict between them and and Cyclops does stem from the comics. Correct.
1: Oh yeah. That love triangle has existed since the eighties. Um, and has gone so far in the newer comics that I I haven't read an X-Men comic in 10 years, but uh, apparently in the Hickman run that is either currently wrapping up and being turned over to someone else because Hickman doesn't want to write monthly comics anymore, which I don't blame him. uh, Apparently they share rooms now. Gene's room is in the middle, and there are doors on either side to uh, Scott and Logan, so I guess they're (laughs) swinging. Okay.
0: Well, like I say— we moved to this scene where she's doing some studies on him to try and figure out, you know, what's up with this dude. And, you know, he starts like kind of trying to hit on her and making these weird sort of, at least again, in my opinion, kind of creepy jokes towards her. Agreed. And it just, it just didn't work for me at all because uh, except, you know, other than, as you mentioned, I mean, Famke Yansen is absolutely gorgeous. And, but like, there's no other reason for him to be, in almost what felt like kind of a lecherous manner sort of you know making these comments and stuff to her it was yeah, that was a it's scene kinda get, gross it was,
1: it's kind of gross it was
0: really gross and uncomfortable for me so yep uh, then we go back to Magneto and we get introduced to you know we've we've seen Mystique we've seen Sabretooth and now we get my favorite of Magneto's henchmen and that would be Toad as you just played like him. You, by you Ray just Park like him.
1: yeah I was gonna say you just like him because Ray Park played him Cause he's terrible.
0: What, what I actually wrote is, I wrote toad is stupid and useless. That was
1: that and was my the one dumbest comment. power.
0: Yes, he's his tongue, his tongue, and he uses and jumping. It.
1: Well, and he's got green skin,
0: he, Green-ish skin, not green skin. Like it looks like they did a pass with the green. And then they gave him like a day or two to like sweat half of it off and (laughs) rub half of it. You know, he's like wiping his face on the sleeves of his hoodie. And so he's got some smeared there and stuff. Anyway, Toad, stupid, useless, terrible character. Sabretooth, not much better. Mystique, does she even really talk in this with her own voice or is it only in the second movie? I'm trying to remember if I even remember hearing her talk.
1: She has like one line in the whole film. Yeah. Yeah. Because she says My, it, on the helicopter, she says like people like you are why right. I was afraid to go to school. And that's yeah, the that's only right. line she says in the entire movie. Um, You know,
0: kind of one of those problems that we see in a lot of movies, and I'm not saying that by any means to excuse it, uh, but you've got female characters who are being uh, again, severely under or misutilized. And I think that mystique is a case of that here in uh, in this X-Men film.
1: Uh, well, da-da-da-da-da. and I think that it doesn't help. It, it doesn't help when you cast Rebecca romaine because you're casting her on the strength of her looks and not on not as an actor at that point because she hadn't really been in anything at that point so they were like she's hot let's put her in this and so I think that the film's writing reflects that that was she was there to be eye candy both in terms of the way that her design works the way that she has nothing to say the kind of you know gross way that the camera sometimes frames her um, while still like trying to be like we're still a PG 13 movie but we will show a lot of side butt even if we're not showing butt cheek You know, things like that.
0: It was a bit of a shame because I think Mystique as uh, potentially is a very interesting character. And I just felt that she was under and misutilized in this movie. But I can't remember if I think that the other movies do anything to remedy that. So I suppose we'll Well, find we'll find out when we get there. So my question is this, what is it about Magneto's power to manipulate metal makes it so that he can create mutants. Do you think this that is he just creating this field that is inducing just like mass genetic mutations so that you go from normal to like, boom, now every cell in your body is mutated or.
1: This is never explained. And no. they don't even no, try. Like they don't even try to hand wave it. They're just like, this is a machine that when Magneto gets in it, it almost kills him, but he turns people into mutants and it is not explained. And you're just like, Okay.
0: Okay. All right. Well, you know, we, we go back to the, uh, the mansion and we've got, again, I, I have this, I just have this line I written down. It says Logan slash Jean is no bueno, And then I have <laughs> Scott as a douche. Um, I mean, <laughs> you know.
1: he, here's the thing again, really good casting that doesn't have a whole lot to do. James Marsden plays Scott as the uptight douchebag so well.
0: Yes, he does. He definitely does. And we see it in this scene. And again, it's just one of those where it's like, it's kind of dumb. And you know, Logan's like, Oh, you're going to tell me to keep my hands off your girl. And he says, well, if I had to do that, then she wouldn't be my girl. But also, and keep then your hands he says my girl also keep your hands off my girl. And I was just like, Oh, come on. Like you, I was actually kind of okay with him being like, no, I don't need to say that because she can stick up for herself. And then he has to say it anyway. And that was, that was dumb. We then get this scene and I do think it's an important scene and I, it actually worked better for me now. Now we've got, we've got Logan. He's having these bad dreams. He's making noise somehow over in her dorm. Um, rogue can hear this and she comes in to check on him and she's trying to wake him up and in the middle of this. You know he's having this dream and these flashbacks of what looks like kind of when they grafted the adamantium to him. And he wakes up and boom, just claws right through her. And they're sticking out her back. And she just is like, ah, he pulls him back, is freaking out. And she just reaches out and touches his face so that she starts to absorb his healing factor. And it was really interesting. The other kids now have kind of come and see this. And you can definitely tell that this is a scary thing to them. I don't know. Yeah. What do you think about this scene? I found it pretty effective.
1: And me too. I thought that it was really um really effective in in again building those stakes and giving well, giving them both reason, motivation for future scenes. Logan for wanting to apologize for what he had done. Um Rogue for being like, "Oh no, I used my powers again. I've got to run away again." You know, and having that feeling of like instability when she'd finally found, you know, at least some sort of stability somewhat having that immediately taken away from her again. Um, I think that it is a good it's a good scene to set the stakes for those characters. I agree.
0: And um it does a good job of kind of showing that here is Rogue, who, like you said, just feels like she found somewhere where she can belong. But even in that setting, they're afraid of her because of what her power can do. And so Mm -hmm. that you can see them really kind of putting her in a a tricky situation. Um, We jump back and we've got the senator who's standing in a cage high up and he's kind of stretchy. He's pushing his face against the bars and he's like stretching through it. And I couldn't quite figure out what his mutation was because he stretches through and then Magneto comes in and he's dangling from a... From the thing and Sabretooth tries to pull him back up and he just keeps like stretching until he falls down into the water. But then when he comes out of the water at the land, it kind of looks like he's got gills on his back that then seal up. So it was, I don't, this was a little weird because it was not clear to me what exactly did this mutation that they do do for him? What did it create? What abilities or whatever it just it was kind of like what's well, going to create the abilities that we need. Let's make him stretchy so he can squeeze through the grate and then let's make it. So he's got gills on his back so he can survive swimming to shore. I don't know.
1: Yeah. It's we- uh, it's unclear.
0: So, so we jump back to the, uh, to, to the school and we've got uh, Bobby uh, Iceman who is not Bobby, but he kind of pulls rogue aside and he's like, Hey, you know, you need to go away. All the kids are freaked out of you about you and, and plays upon that fear that she has that I found a place that I belong, but now I don't belong anymore. And so she runs away. She takes off. We get, you know, Logan deciding to go after her and try and find her. Um, he steals, I think he, isn't this one of the places where he steals Scott's motorcycle? It is. Um, And, and in the midst of this, we've now got the school infiltrated by mystique who then goes and puts this canister of something in the liquid for Cerebro, which again, kind of like Magneto's powers, this is just a hand wavy thing. We're gonna put some liquid that makes the blue liquid go brown and that's gonna mess everything up. (laughs) Um, You know, it was was a little weak, but at the same time, it's one of those things I don't know if they had bothered to take the time to try and come up with some hand wavy explanation. I don't think it actually would have worked any better. So sure.
1: Agreed. You know, There's something to be said for just being like suspension of disbelief. This, the big ball makes Professor X find people throughout the planet because of the glowy juice. And just, it's fine.
0: <laughs> and we're going to put some poop in the glowy juice. Because that's what exactly. it's
1: like. Exactly. Exactly the
0: glowy juice. Um, one thing I did notice here is that one of the places where the casting – if you look at it, looks like it should work, but really didn't work great for me was Halle Berry, a storm.
1: Well, that is definitely true of, of the main X-Men of the good guy characters. It's the weakest casting by a country mile because not only is she not given anything to do like the other characters are, she also doesn't bring something to it like the others do. Like again, yeah. we said James Marston is not given anything to do, but he brings that dickery really well to it. Um, but she is not given much to do. Sometimes tries to affect an accent. Other times, no. Her power is yeah, always I, look I, kind of hokey. Her eyes turning white never look very good. They always can. You can always tell that it's post prod. She's really the weakest part of this main cast in terms of both performance and portrayal in the in, in the powers and everything.
0: Yeah, it's interesting in small things to see where technology is advanced. Compare the wide eyes of storm to the white eyes of Moon Knight and the Moon Knight white eyes are cool. And it works. I mean, it does. So uh, I'm glad that you mentioned the accent thing. I picked up on that and I was like, man, this kind of feels like early Elizabeth Olsen in the MCU where you were never uh-huh. quite sure what accent we were going for and what were we going to And to be fair, I,
1: I do remember that. I think it's by movie two. She's like, no, we're not doing that anymore. And the, it goes away. She just talks so. with an American accent.
0: I hope so, because it definitely didn't work. The accent, um, then we get to the train scene where Logan finds rogue on the train train starts moving. I like this scene again. I thought that this was a pretty cool scene in that the train gets stopped and you got Magneto just basically using his powers to just pop this thing open like an aluminum can. And the train just goes peeling open. And of course Logan goes after him, but I don't know if Adamantium's magnetic or not, but it must be because now you've got Magneto just controlling Logan and like even st- sort of spreading his claws apart, which, you know, those I started of think about it, I was like, yeah, that probably hurt pretty bad. So Indeed. I thought this was a cool scene where they come and the whole time everybody thought Magneto was going after Wolverine when in fact, no, what he wanted is he wanted rogue. And so he gets rogue and, and they take rogue at that point. Um, what do you think about the train scene? Any, any additional comments?
1: Well, I think that the scene outside of the train scene where Magneto comes out and all of the cops are there. Yep. And he takes all of their guns out of their hands and points them at them and then pulls the trigger on one and stops the bullet right in that dude's forehead. And then is just like, you can let me take the girl Charles or I can fire them all. I don't think I can catch them all is so menacing. Yeah. It's it's so good.
0: (laughs) It really was. It was a good scene. And, I don't know if they did it intentionally, but in watching that scene, I thought about the scene in maybe the fourth or fifth episode of Wandavision, where Wanda leaves the hex with the drone, and uh, forces all of the military folks to point their laser sights on the one guy. the 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 I don't uh-huh. remember his name because he was so forgettable. But I saw again, kind of saw them going, yeah. I wonder, were they thinking about this scene? when they made that scene. And I would be more surprised if they weren't than if they were, because this is like you said, it's a very chilling scene and super effective. And you see that dude sitting there and the bullets just like spinning in his forehead. And there's a little bit of a pressure thing where you can see the bullets sort of displacing the skin and stuff. And I thought, man, I'd totally soil myself if that was me. So it, it worked.
1: Yeah. I thought it was really effective.
0: So, um, we get to Senator Kelly now has managed to make his way to the X-Men and he gets found by them. And in, in the meantime, in other parts of the movie, we still have mystique sort of wearing the Senator Kelly uh, skin suit to, I'm not really a skin suit, but she looks like Senator Kelly to, to kind of at one point say, Oh, I was wrong to, you know, say that we need to register mutants in this, that, and the other. But I did think it was weird that, senator kelly then just like turns to water and just like kind of gushes away but but that's what happens he turns to water because he's unstable because these mutations that whatever magneto's device yes it introduced mutations but they're unstable and and you know which okay it actually kind of works because yeah if you introduce that many mutations i mean look okay this is an aside why do things like platinum-based chemotherapy and radiation work to treat cancer? Well, apologize to anybody who knows more about this than me, but I'm going to give you kind of the dumbed-down version. Cancer cells reproduce a lot faster and more often than normal cells. It's one of the things that makes them cancer. They don't follow normal cell cycles. They grow when they're not supposed to. They reproduce more often. And so when we're looking under a microscope, one of the ways we determine even kind of how aggressive or how high a grade of cancer is, is how many mitotic figures are there? So how many cells do we see that are actively dividing? And in normal tissue, you don't see very many. It's really uncommon to find a mitosis, but in cancer cells, you can find a whole bunch. So if the cells are reproducing a lot faster and then we introduce mutations into them, either with radiation or with things like platinum-based chemotherapy and that, that binds to some of the, the base pairs and, and introduces these mutations, well, normally your body's going to have time to fix those mutations if it finds them. And we have all uh-huh. sorts of built-in mechanisms to do so. But in cancer cells, because they're reproducing so much faster than normal, then these mutations get introduced and then have a chance to propagate and propagate and propagate. And so it ends up killing off the cancer as opposed to killing off other things because the normal tissue, for the most part, has time to identify the errors in the DNA and then fix those before it makes another copy and introduces that mutation again and again and again. So sure. I can see where they're coming from saying, if we just basically mutated his whole body, these mutations are unstable. If every cell's had these mutations kind of put in, nothing has had a chance to kind of say, what mutations can we live with? What mutations are gonna cause cells to die? So
1: sure. I and it like silly, but I was like, hey, it works. Yeah. Well, in the conceit is that mutants are born with the X gene. Mutants are born as mutants, but they develop their mutant powers as a secondary sex characteristic, essentially. Which is why almost all of them develop those powers in their early teen years, because they develop at the same time that so many other secondary gender characteristics are are expressed. But they're always there, just like how... For the vast majority of people you have the genes that you have and then they express themselves as you get older in different ways but same sort of thing with the mutants so when you take a 45 year old man and suddenly introduce those mutations obviously things are going to go poorly
0: i would like to say he was older than 45 because i'm 45 and i think he was older than me i'm uh, just saying
1: it's possible <laughs> it's entirely possible i'm just feeling old
0: and i don't want to be 45 and be compared to that dude
1: He was, he was 50. He was 55 when that movie was filmed. So you're good. Perfect. Okay.
0: I feel a little bit better. Um, real quick until we get to kind of the, the finale, because the finale is one part that doesn't quite hold up as well for me as the rest of the movie. Um, you know, we've got, um, professor X goes in to try and use Cerebro again. It's got the poop juice in it. He falls down and collapses. They find him. At some point, uh, you you know, oh, sorry, Jean Grey. Sorry, I blanked on her name there. All I could think was the actor's name. Uh, Jean Grey goes in and realizes that there's poop juice and unhooks the thing with the poop juice and all of a sudden it goes back to blue. And she puts it on and she tries to use it to figure out where, where, where they're going. And they've managed to figure out that she's at the Statue of Liberty. Here on Ellis Island, we've got this, Meeting where there's all these dignitaries and UN people, and they're talking about this mutant registration. And so, he's, you know, Magneto's going to use his device in the Statue of Liberty to send the sparkly wave and mutate everybody at this thing. And they're like, oh no, he could kill everybody in New York. We got to go stop him. And so, they get in the jet and they get on their costumes. And I don't love the costumes or the outfits or the suits or whatever you want to call them, but at least the movie had the uh, balls to make some sort of comment and have Wolverine make a snide comment about it. And Scott come back with a bit of a snide comment to say, well, what do you want? You know, like yellow spandex. So I I don't love the suits, but I thought that they at least a little wink and a nod to the fact of that. Uh, I don't know. What do you think about the suits?
1: Um, I understand why they did what they did with the leather outfits. Again, I think that they were really influenced by the success of two things blade and the matrix both of which feature heavily leather inspired costume direction (laughs) so i think (laughs) that that is so i think that is where it ultimately comes from is the influence of those two movies um and so i'm not surprised that they went with it um and you know i understand why they did prior to this think about our superhero movies we've had that were really big and successful it was really just superman and the batman movie like the superman movies and the batman movies superman movies lean into it he is wearing a spandex outfit and it works because it's superman it works batman doesn't batman leans into heavy latex body armor type stuff because he's not a superhero he's a science hero or whatever other line you want to use. Cause he doesn't have superpowers. I was um,
0: Cause he's a rich super a rich hero.
1: Also. He's a rich hero. That is, that is what he is. He's is, uh, obscenely wealthy so he can have the body armor. And so I think that they had to, they tried to cut more towards the body armor style without it being the heavily stylized body armor. You would definitely, especially seen in the Schumacher films, um, so again, I understand why, given what had happened in the 90s in action and superhero and, and kind of science fiction cinema why they went with it and it it really is until spider-man when once again they say no, you can just do what's in the comics you can yeah. just do it it works. And to be fair, I'm kind of glad that they don't because no X-Men costume is as cool as Spider-Man's costume. Because part of the reason why Superman, part of the reason why the Superman costume or Superman in the spandex and Spider-Man in the spandex work is because their costumes are incredibly designed. Yes. Whereas the X-Men have some good designs, but there's a reason why the X-Men have had what's Jean Grey's costume look like, Peter? i have no idea because it changes so much exactly i know that usually cyclops wears blue and usually his face shooty thing is yellow usually but like outside of that okay how many different outfits has wolverine had a bajillion in different colors oh do you want it in yellow and blue do you want it in darker yellow and tan do you want it in black and gray so i think that leaning into the uh the leather outfits works to be like, you know, we're we're trying to make this seem a little more realistic, um, yeah, and it really wasn't until Spider Man when you know they said no, you can just do it, you can just you, you just be bright, you just be bright, and that's true of the whole film. Like, I think that a lot of this film is really gorgeously shot. There's some really great cinematography. There's some really striking uh, images, but it's very dark. It was a yes. very dark colored film. And I think a lot of that is to save money because it's a lot cheaper to do special effects in the dark because they don't have to look as good. Whereas again, then two years later you see Spider-Man and a lot of Spider-Man takes place during the day. Um, And, and so, you know, I think that it was a combination of special effects evolving so rapidly as well as, you know, this, this is a dark set. This is a dark feel. We want it to have that kind of serious feel to it that we're taking it serious Um, And I think that they, you know, by and large, pulled that off.
0: Yeah, I agree. Uh, Again, I, 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 and I, like I say, I appreciated that they made a little comment about the suits in general, you know, both the kind of black leather and then the, well, what else do you want? And again, it worked. It was just kind of a look. Yeah, we know this isn't the comic books and you know that there's reasons we're not doing what the comic books showed. So I like that. They get in the plane, they fly to uh, to the Statue of Liberty. There's some weird things where they're stealthing the plane with a storm from storm, but at the same time, they're flying low over the water and creating great big, huge geysers of water with their plane, but don't think about it too hard. It's a comic book movie, I guess. Tell What did you think about the whole scene here at the Statue of Liberty, because here's where we've got our big kind of punchy, punchy, kicky, kicky battle. We've got, you know, we've got Sabretooth, we've got toad, we've got mystique and we've got cyclops and we've got storm and we've got, um, Wolverine and Jean gray is there as well. Correct. Yes, she is. She's suited up. Uh huh. So we've got our our hero team, we've got our villain team, and and Magneto's, you know, kind of there, and he's a little more involved a little later, but he's off getting all set up. What did you think about this whole battle scene? Because I had some thoughts, but I'm curious to hear what yours are.
1: It's kind of messy. There are parts where I think it kind of works, but uh, while the action is totally readable, it also doesn't feel very believable. Um,
0: Well, yeah. I mean, and to that point, one of the issues I had is, okay, we've seen Toad, he's got the tongue. And then at one point, apparently he spits, I don't know, mucus on Jean Grey. I I don't know what it is because at some point it's now like crystallizing hard when, but anyway, we don't get any, we see that Sabretooth is strong from the beginning, but we don't get anything to say that Mystique and Toad have superhuman strength, but clearly in this battle they do. I mean, you've got mystique going toe to toe with Wolverine
1: and Mm -hmm. I'm going,
0: this just doesn't quite work. And the punches and the kicks he's taking, I'm sorry, he should be able to shrug those off if she's not super strong. So there were aspects of that that didn't quite work for me. And then you have, which I warned Gareth, that it was one of the worst lines in any superhero movie, if not more than that. And he still wasn't prepared for just how bad the line is when Storm electrocutes Toad.
1: I mean, it's really dumb.
0: It's so bad.
1: It's really dumb. <laughs> I want to know, like,
0: the funny thing is is that they set it up. You know, there's a whole, oh, do you know what happens to a Toad when it gets struck by lightning? If all you were going to do is the same thing as everything else, why did you set it up? Don't yeah. set it up. Just leave there it. You. Like She doesn't have to say anything. Just shoot him with a, you know, blast him with a, a, an electric... You know, bold of lightning. I, that part's just still to this day. It's in just indecipherable what they were thinking when they decided well, we're going to set up this line and then the payoff is going to be this.
1: But Well, and one of the funniest things about it is it's then followed by one of my favorite lines in the movie. When is that Wolverine, the one where they
0: see Wolverine. Yes.
1: Yeah. Wolverine comes back out and you know, Cyclops is ready to blast him and he says, prove it like prove that you're the real Logan. And he just looks at me and says, you're a dick. And he's like, <laughs>
0: okay. Yeah, absolutely. It's like we go from just this absolutely atrocious line to one that just fits because it fits in terms of the character. You're like, yep, totally. That's what Logan would do. And it fits in terms of, I love the fact that Scott just kind of like, yep, okay, yep, that's you. This, that is, track.
1: He's, this is him because you, the shapeshifter wouldn't have known to say that to me.
0: Yep. So my final sort of, part that I don't quite understand. And and again, this is one of the places where the power level seems a little inconsistent. We've already seen that Magneto uses this just to send a wave to wipe out Senator Kelly. And, you know, he's, he can't walk. He has to be like helped out of the thing. Uh So now he's got rogue there and he's having, you know, he's touching rogue. So she's draining all his power. And again, we see the kid that she kissed at the beginning, I think there's an offhand comment that she says something about, you know, my first kiss ended up in a coma for three weeks. Uh-huh. And we've even seen again, Logan, who after he touches her, he's out for the count for hours. And this is him with his healing factor. Well, you know, Magneto traps everybody using his magnetic powers up in the the torch or I think it's actually the head in the head of the Statue yeah. of Liberty. Pins them all pins them all with metal and then he goes up and he transfers his powers to rogue and then forces her to start activating this thing. You know, Logan gets out by like stabbing his claws through himself so that they knock off the metal. And then, you know, Scott, he's, his visor has been taken off and he's facing Jean and he's got his eyes closed. And, you know, I can't even remember how, how, is it gene's tele or telekinesis that moves the visor to a certain place?
1: Yeah, uh, so Wolverine and Sabretooth have a, f- a big fight on the lid of the yep. the lid the head of the Statue of Liberty and during that fight Sabretooth who had been hanging on to that drops it. That's uh, right. Wolverine picks it up, tosses it their way and then Gene uses her power to grab it face it the right direction to blast Sabretooth out of the so end. He of opens the-
0: his eyes and boom, he goes flying um, there. They managed to, you know, get rogue disconnected from this. And, and again, like, um, I don't even remember how did the, Oh, doesn't Scott shoot a blast at Magneto? Yeah, Scott. Because Magneto cause, is cause like Wolverine is trying to do it. Magneto
1: yes. with his with his weakened powers and weakened state is stopping him with what little is left of his powers, and so uh Cyclops blasts him in the back to knock him unconscious, blasts him in the shoulder, and then Wolverine is able to destroy the machine. And
0: then because Rogue is is drained and we saw how weakened it made um Magneto you know, he touches her, she absorbs again some of his power and and she's saved and, and the days saved and and hooray. Um we get kind of that final scene where we've got Magneto in his plastic prison playing chess with Xavier. Just so
1: cool looking. It really is.
0: It's Here's a super the thing, cool looking prison.
1: Almost all of the sets in this movie feel embodied and real, like they were actual full sets that were built, and they look great.
0: Yeah. Yeah, they do. Like, that was the thing I wrote down. I said, man, this plastic prison looks freaking cool.
1: All of the scenes do that. Like big Senate hearing. You're like, no government building has ever looked half as cool as this guy's or the mansion is like so antiseptic and like spy when you're in the basement. And then you go upstairs and it's this lush, beautiful old money mansion. Great set design.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. So we end, and again, we've got that final coda there, and then we've got Wolverine getting he's given some directions from Charles Xavier, you know, go to this place and, and there may be some answers for you. And so he takes off again on steel Scott's motorcycle. And and that's a wrap. And, you know, I finished it up and I thought to myself, just like we said at the beginning, you know, I enjoyed this a lot more than I thought I was going to. I really was concerned that I was not going to like it, that it was going to feel like a chore watching. And it didn't feel like a chore at all. It was, it was a lot of fun to watch and it was a decent movie. Not, not the best comic book movie, but then again, far from the worst. And I think no. for the time really did help put things on track for where we are today with comic book movies that not only can make millions, if not over, you know, billions of dollars, but can be taken to some degree seriously as movies that are worth watching.
1: Yeah. I, I was shocked by how much I enjoyed this movie and I expected to come in being like, yo, yeah, the movie sucked. And I it's just not how I felt about it. I really enjoyed myself.
0: You know, the final thing I'll say that I really liked and appreciated as, as we talked about when we were both uh, filled with a little trepidation as to whether, you know, when we were getting ready to watch it, I, I remember texting you and saying, Hey, at least it's only an hour and 44 minutes long. It's true. And so I thought it was good. It didn't overstay its welcome. It's, it's not true. trying to tell a huge story. It's a fairly small story. And, and that works because it's introducing us to a whole lot of characters that we haven't seen before. And I remember thinking when the initial Avengers came out and we talked about this when we did our draft, one of the things that I thought was so impressive was, Hey, we pulled together this whole cast of superheroes and we're going to make a movie that makes sense with them. That makes you like them and really seems cohesive. And I, in my head, I was like, that had never been done before. And while I agree that because of the backstory with a lot of the main characters and things from that standpoint, I think Avengers is, is better in the way it pulls together this team, but while not everybody works and you've definitely got some characters who overshadow like Wolverine, I thought this movie did a really surprisingly good job of bringing this team of characters and introducing them enough that we didn't feel like we were lost.
1: Yeah. I think that the main team itself was just about the perfect size. And I wonder if as they introduce more and more characters, if I will feel less and less, um, uh excited by the team as a unit because like four plus rogue or i guess five if you include professor x five plus rogue is like the perfect size but when you start throwing nightcrawler and iceman and kitty pride and colossus and then you're getting too many people and you're like yo it's gonna be too much i i won't get to spend enough time with each of the individual characters which i would guess with the exception of Wolverine, especially in these first ones, because he's the real like standout in this, uh, in this movie. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't, I don't know.
0: Well, I look forward to watching X2 in my memory. It was my favorite of these, but it has been many years since I saw it. So I'll be curious to see how it ends up holding up.
1: Me too. I really enjoyed myself and I'm very excited to, uh, you know, see, see what the rest of this series has for me, because I remember X2 being a real high, high, and then you get to the last stand and <laughs> X-Men origins Wolverine, and they are oh. really, really bad. And then apparently they get good again, but maybe bad again. And then it gets really good with Logan. And then maybe, maybe the worst ever with dark Phoenix. We'll see when we get there. Yeah, I don't know. We'll see.
0: We'll see. Well, I look forward to continuing to watch these and talk about them. And uh, again, we look forward to uh, recording and sharing this with people. If you're enjoying this, please subscribe. If you haven't, leave a rating, a five-star review would be great. Um, Give us some feedback, you know, feedback at com and let us know if you've got any suggestions, comments, criticisms, and we'll look at them and then we'll decide what to do with them. I'm not gonna make any more promises than that, but I'll look at them all for sure. At least there's that. And uh Braden, it's been a lot of fun watching this and talking about it with you. And I look forward to the next one.
1: I agree. I will just say really quick, a thing we never touched on. Brian Singer is a sex pest. He can go to hell, but this movie was good anyway
0: yeah I, I was when i when it started up and his name popped up i was like oh should i say something about that and then i didn't write it down in my notes because i didn't want to take my nice little notebook that i was writing and put his name in it and then so i kind of forgot but yep he's, he's a scumbag he's he's a dip shit so yep nope that's all we're gonna say
1: bad bad person who made some okay movies this was one of them Correct. <laughs> all right well thanks for th- thanks for listening everyone Okay. Talk to you in a few
0: weeks. Bye.